It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. We're going to discover a name given to God's people that is only found one time in the entirety of the Word of God, and yet it is a powerful revelation. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first three verses. And I believe this is going to be a real blessing to you. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which he raised up as part of his apostolic ministry. And he said, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, letters of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? In other words, do I need to produce some reference letters in order to prove that I'm truly an apostle? And then he went on to say, you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. But then he adjusted his thoughts, because first he said to the Corinthians, you're our epistle. And what is an epistle? An epistle is a letter. It is a written letter to an individual or to a group. But then Paul had, I guess, an adjustment in his thinking. And he said, no, clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, the heart. And so he explains that the Corinthian church as a whole, as well as each one of them individually, is a living epistle, the epistle of Christ. In a sense, God's love letter to the world. And it goes through a process. First, Paul said that the Corinthian church was an epistle of Christ that was ministered by us. What does that mean? Well, as Paul preached the gospel to them, God was writing his story into their lives. God was writing his promises into their lives. God was writing his covenant into their lives through Paul as Paul preached the gospel. And so it wasn't ink writing in their inner being, but it was the word, the word that was flowing through Paul by the Holy Spirit, by the anointing. So the anointing, in a sense, was wielding the pen and writing God's law in their hearts so that they would be awakened to who God is and who God wanted them to be. And this is a process that is replicated over and over again, because once Paul was used of God to make the Corinthians understand the truth, and then they accepted the truth and began to walk in the truth, then they became the vessels through which the truth could be ministered to others. And so epistles of Christ produce epistles of Christ who produce epistles of Christ and it just goes on and on from generation to generation, from age to age. And it's a letter that's intended to be read by everyone around you. 
So God writes certain revelations into your life through the influence of teachers and pastors and apostles and prophets and different ones who influence you with the word that they reveal. And then you absorb it into your heart and then you become a vessel of that revelation expressed out to others. I love this scripture where God explained what he intended to do in the new covenant. It's Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 33. He said, and I'm pulling out excerpts, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. He said, I will put my law, and the original Hebrew word is Torah. I will put my law, my Torah, in their minds and write it in their hearts. No wonder in Ezekiel chapter 36, God said that he would walk in us and dwell in us and that he would cause us to keep his statutes because it wasn't enough to have the word of God external constraining human behavior. It had to be the word of God internal transforming human behavior. And that's exactly what we're called to do, to minister the word to others until this new birth takes place. Because part of the new birth is the transfer of the nature of God. Let me, let me share one scripture with you that I think is really important. Let me find it. It's in James. And James was writing about this internal transformation that takes place. In the King James Version, James chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. Now, just like a man begets a child, when a man and a woman come together in marriage, in that sacred union, and the egg is fertilized by the sperm that comes from the man, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so the word of God is like the seed that is planted within the hearts of people, and a conception takes place, and there's a transfer of spiritual DNA so that you begin to love what God loves and you begin to hate what God hates. And because God is invisible, he needs visible representatives in this world. So you become God's love letter to the world. He writes his law in your mind and in your heart so that it becomes a part of you. There's another scripture that's really intense. And that's 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, where John wrote those that were influenced by his ministry. And he said, I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Isn't that amazing that he put it in a different tense than what you would imagine the right way to express it. He didn't say you will overcome the wicked one. He said you have overcome the wicked one. I used to think that was the past tense, but an English teacher corrected me and said, no, that's the present perfect tense. And that's something that happens in the past, but continues to the present. And then that made even more sense to me, that the word of God abides in me. And it started 50 years ago when I 
was born again, the seed of the word of God was planted in my soul and a spiritual conception took place. A son of God was born and the word of God is a part of my nature now. And the same is true with you. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And that's the great thing about getting connected to the heavenly author. He doesn't have any unfinished works. He didn't stop with the third chapter and never finish the book. What he starts, he finishes. And if the word of God abides in you from the moment you got saved, from that point forward, you already have overcome the wicked one before he comes against you, before the devil and all his hosts of demons strategize against you. The word of God in you is already stronger than any tactic of the enemy to destroy you. So you are in a secure place. Now let me take you to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. When I first read that scripture, I thought, well, that just can't be true because I've seen people all around me, so have you. And in fact, in our all of our lives, there's been shortcomings, there's been frailty, there's been times where we fell short of God's expectations toward us. So how can this be true? Whoever has been born of God does not sin. I think there's an essence of meaning there that's not really conveyed by the King James Version. And although I rarely refer to the Amplified Version, I think in this case, the Amplified Version really captures the essence of what that passage is saying. Again, it's the Amplified Version of 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. No one born begotten of God deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. Now, you may see Christians falter and make errors and make mistakes, but the best sign that they've truly been born again is there will be a time of rebounding, getting back where they need to be, because the longing of their hearts is to truly be right with God, even if for a season they falter. And then it says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So the best way to distinguish between children of God and children of the devil is children of God do not deliberately, knowingly, and habitually or consistently commit sin. Unless, of course, the Bible says they are reprobate. And through the years, I've met a few people that I believe may have fallen into that category. But I've met a lot of people that fell flat on their face and got back up again by the grace of God. Because if this was literally too true, whoever is born of God does not commit sin, then why in the world in the same epistle did John say, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he's the propitiation for our sins. If it was an impossibility that a Christian would ever make an error, he never would have given that promise. If any man sin, we have an advocate, which means a defense attorney, and he is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means satisfaction for the demands of justice. And so if God 
with the pen of someone's spoken word has written the revelation of truth in your heart, you should be of all people most thankful. And I love Psalm 45. It really words it that way. The psalmist said, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And then he goes on to say, you are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured into your lips. And of course, he's referring to the Messiah. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I am an epistle of Christ, but I'm also used of God to make others into epistles of Christ. Because I've been blessed to win hundreds of people to the Lord. And if I actually impact a person's life that way, I turn them into a living letter, a love letter from God to their loved ones, to their friends, to their neighborhood, to their city. And then all of those they impact become love letters from God that convey the truth to others. Isn't that beautiful? Now, one last thought, and then I'm going to close. Jesus was the Word made flesh. So he was the sum total of the Word of God contained in a human body. Now, he was the only begotten Son of God. He was the only Son begotten only of the Father. So flesh, soul, and spirit entirely was begotten by God. He was the only Son begotten only by the Father in heaven. He had no earthly father who literally gave him a physical body. So he was the Word made flesh. And I love to think of it this way. When the wind blew through his hair, it was leaping through the pages of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When the waves of Galilee crashed over his feet, it was soaking into the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because he was the Word in motion. But you and I are living epistles. Now, an epistle is a small portion of the total written word of God, but no less important. The epistle to the Romans, the epistle to the Galatians, the epistle to the Ephesians, all of those letters from Paul, and there's other epistles from Peter, from James, etc., all of them are small portions of the total Word of God, the written Word of the Almighty. Well, in like manner, if you and I are epistles of Christ and we're truly producing revelation on a day-to-day basis where we share the words with others that come from God, then we are a small portion of the total living Word. And that's a very important thing to consider that the living word in its entirety is everything that God has spoken from the beginning until the very end, till the end of this age. All that God has ever spoken personally or through individuals representing him, that's all the living word. And of course, the living word and the written word have got to parallel each other. If the living word veers from the written word, it's heresy. But if it's in alignment and parallel to the written word, then uh, it becomes alive with the emotion of the individual who shares it. So you are an extremely important part of the plan of God. You are a small portion of the total living word, just like an epistle is a small portion of the total written word. That's something to consider 
You are the epistle of Christ. And let's go back to the beginning, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. Let me read it again. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Go out and let somebody read Jesus in your life tomorrow. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. You are a letter from the Messiah, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, the tablet of the heart. Thank you so much for joining me. I pray it's been a blessing to you. It's a wonderful thing to discover who you are in Christ. There's over a thousand names and titles that belong to you. And if you want to explore this revelation deeper, go to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Mike Shreve Ministries. And the first few categories are various teachings on different names and titles that God has given his people. And of course, you should order Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. And that book has 52 chapters in it. Each chapter is a different name, a different title given to the people of God. And it's got a beautiful explanation with the scripture that contains the title. And then also a confession at the end of each chapter where you can confess and declare this portion of your identity. And I guarantee you it will change your life dramatically. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.